Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we praise you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you that you are such a great and an awesome God. And we thank you just that you continue to minister to us through your word, that it isn't an old antiquated book, but it applies to our lives today. Lord, I pray that tonight as we look at just the putting to action the words you'd given Moses about the building of the tabernacle, I pray, Father God, that as we just see the examples of how we're to enter into your rest, and Lord, how you desire that we give unto you, the Lord, you would minister to our hearts, Father, and that, Lord, we would receive your word tonight. So, Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. In these final six chapters of Exodus, it's kind of interesting because it's one of the few books in the Bible where you see this happen. For verse, chapters 25 through 31, we saw the Lord giving to Moses the instructions for the tabernacle. And remember when we went through it piece by piece and talked about every single piece of furnishing in the tabernacle is a picture of Jesus Christ. We talked about how they all pointed to him right down to the way that the tent was made, right down to the materials in the veil. Every bit of it is a picture of Christ. And what's interesting is for those six chapters, we saw this in detail. And now we get, back, we get down to the very last six chapters of the book of Exodus, and we're going to see those same things repeated again. And the reason that they are, though, there's a reason for it. It's significant in that the first time we saw, we saw God delivering the word to Moses when he was up on Mount Sinai. And now we're going to see the example of Moses giving the word to the people. And I love the fact that it's just a very clear picture that any word we receive must be given from God first before we give it to men. Amen? And we see that Moses doesn't get up and give his opinions or what he thinks, and we'll go through that in a minute. And so we're going to see that as we go through the next few weeks, and we may go through a little quicker than we did last time, but we're going to go through and look at each of these implements again and the significance between behind each one of them. There will be some additions and some rearrangement of material, but again, I believe the main reason is to show that Moses is carrying out God's instruction. We'll also see the faithfulness of God, because remember, between the time that God gave these instructions to Moses and Moses gave these instructions to the people, something had happened. You guys remember what happened? He came down from Mount Sinai, and what happened? What were the people doing? They were worshiping a golden calf. And what's amazing to me is we see God's grace in that He gave this instruction prior to the rebellion, and then even after the rebellion, He continues to show them grace, that He will be in the midst of them. And part of that was because Moses had cried out, as we saw last week. These were murmuring, faithless, self-seeking. Instead of seeking God, they sought man, they sought Aaron, and they totally have blown it, but God is a God of love, a God of grace and a God of forgiveness. And in spite of their disobedience, their impatience, and their faithlessness, God is still going to be among them. So in the next several weeks, again, we'll see the dwelling place of God, His Shekinah glory, and we'll see the materials and furnishings that all point to Jesus. Now tonight in chapter 35, I broke it down this way. I put down giving our possessions, our time, and our abilities unto the Lord. And we'll see that broken down in the Scripture tonight. It actually starts off with giving of our time, then giving of our possessions, and then giving of our abilities. And here's the thing. Most people, I got got heat last week because I went right over a verse that says we're supposed to give and, you know, bring the giving to the church first, right? And you guys know me. I just don't like to meditate on giving, and let me tell you why. Because I believe it's one of the most abused things you'll ever see in the church. People talk about money all the time. And you know my heart here. I want to give to you guys. I'm not trying to see how much you can give to us, right? Amen? But I do believe that I fall short if I don't teach you what the Bible says about giving. But we'll see tonight that there's a very clear way that we're to give to the Lord. And we'll see that we're never to give because somebody manipulates us. 
And we're never to give because we feel like we have to to earn God's favor. And we're never to give for any reason like that. We only give as a love response unto the Lord. We give because He's touched us and we want to. The Bible says that God, the Lord, loves a cheerful giver. And the word for cheerful there is hilarion. And it's where we get the word hilarious. So God loves a hilarious giver. He loves somebody who gives, and it's a joy. It's not, oh man, I hope the bucket doesn't come down my road this week, right? It's not that kind of giving. It's not the kind of giving where I better put something in or people will look at me funny. We don't even pass an offering here. Because I don't want you to ever to give out a compulsion. I want you to give because you want to. Amen? And if you don't want to, that's okay. That's between you and the Lord, and let God work that out in your heart. Here's the reality. I don't even count the offering. I don't know who's given what, and I really don't care. That's between you and God. I love you all the same no matter what. So you don't give to earn the favor of men. You give because God puts a calling and a burden on your heart to do so. And we're going to see that in the text tonight. So first we're going to see the reiteration of the Sabbath law. He starts off with that. Then we're going to see the offering of material, offering of our possessions, then the offerings of our abilities, and then lastly we will see anointed for practical ministry. And some of the stuff you've heard before, because again, it's almost word for word some of the passages in the previous chapters earlier in Exodus. So let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 35, and we're going to see him reiterate the Sabbath law. Now, Exodus 31, verses 12 through 17, the Lord's last words to Moses before he descended down Mount Sinai was he told them to reestablish the Sabbath law, to talk to them about the covenant between God and his people, that they would have a day set aside to worship and honor the Lord. But when we get here in Exodus 35, Moses doesn't end his instructions with it. He begins by talking about the Sabbath. So first thing he's going to talk about, and why? Because, again, it's a sign or a covenant between Israel and and God. The other sign that they had was circumcision. Remember an outward sign. This is a, a sign setting aside of time, their first fruits of time, to honor the Lord. And again, God was about to do a, a, lay out an awesome task before them that would require anointed giving, serving, and craftsmanship. But again, when, we're, when we are given marching orders by God, one of the things we can do real easily, and let me just make this real clear to you guys. Sometimes we're so involved in doing what God's called us to do that we forget about putting our eyes on Him. You know what? There are pastors, there are worship leaders, there are people in ministry that are so busy doing ministry that they neglect that intimate one-on-one relationship with Christ. He's about to lay out to them this incredible task. Moses is going to deliver to the people. Now, I want you to build a tabernacle, and here's what God is calling you to do. But before we even get started, I want you to remember that you must have intimacy with the Father. That you must set aside that time once a week where for an entire day you don't do anything but concentrate on the Lord and the Lord alone. And the Lord desires that we do the same. And we can get involved in doing good things. We can give out what is best for what is good. And God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness to make our relationship with Him above all else. It's important that we worship, that we worship and not even neglect it doing worshipful work. And I believe, again, God is so incredibly blessed. I believe that God has blessed Calvary chapels. And let me tell you why I believe He's blessed them. I don't believe that He has blessed Calvary chapels because of a man. I don't believe that He's blessed Calvary chapels because of a program. I don't believe He's blessed Calvary chapels because of a, you know, the, something we put in motion and we, everybody just duplicates it. I believe that God has blessed it because we teach the Word of God expositionally, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and it's the Word of God that transforms lives. And I also believe it's because that develops an intimate relationship with Christ. 
You can't spend time, if you're in the Word every day, and you're in the Word every week, what's going to happen is you're going to hunger for the Word more and more and more. And as you do, you're going to fall in love with the Word. And who is the Word? It's Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons that God has taken one church in Southern California in 1968, made it 1,200 churches worldwide in 30-something years, most people will be stoked if their church went to 1,200 people, let alone 1,200 churches. But again, it's not a, because of a man. It's because of faithfulness to the Word of God. And God does great and wonderful things. But again, we, can't, we cannot get our eyes off of the Lord. We can't just try to work a plan. We can't just get a church growth movement, take it out of a box and throw it out and say, okay, guys, we're going we're gonna to do the plan, we're going to do the motion. You say, no, before you do anything, you get your eyes on me. And that's why he begins with the Sabbath. So let's look at verse 1. Then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, and I love this, that he gathered the entire congregation and delivered what? The word of the Lord. Here's a model for a church right here. Amen? He brought everybody in, and he said, let me share with you the Word of God. He didn't say, hey, we're going to have the flying Walendas tonight. Hey, we get ready. Here comes the trapeze act. Okay, guys, get ready for the video snippet. You know, hey, guys, you know, and do all this stuff to entertain a crowd. And then, you know, well, maybe if they come to the crowd enough times, then maybe at some point they'll come from this circle to this circle. And then maybe later they'll get down to this one. And then maybe if they get to the closest circle, then they'll even get to hear the Bible. You know, because that's what we'll do. If they get all the way into that closest circle and they just keep coming back, we'll keep moving them in. And then that core group will get to hear the Bible. Well, Moses doesn't say, hey, you know, let's bring the core group in. He said, bring everybody in. The whole congregation. And what does he do? He shares with them the word of the Lord. And so, to me, the most important time to teach the Bible is when everybody's here. Amen? Not when a few folks are here. Not when the most dedicated ones are here. When everybody's here. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and it needs to minister to every single person that walks in that door. So I love the fact that he didn't wait for the core group, he didn't bring in a a small number of people, but he ministered to every single person. Verse 2. He says, Work shall be done for six days, but on the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. Wow. So, if you're working on the Sabbath you're going to die. That's pretty heavy consequences, amen? I'm thinking I'm going to pay attention to that one. And what he's saying is, you know what? You need above all else to remember this covenant. Now, I want to say a couple things about the Sabbath. I've talked about it a lot, and any of you come, you've heard it a lot. But here's the thing. The Sabbath was a definite covenant between God and Israel. Nowhere in the Bible do you see the Sabbath being given to the, first, the, um, the church. Book of Acts on, you don't see the Sabbath. You don't see Sabbath rest, you don't see any of it. Why? Because it was a covenant between God and Israel. Now, we have this in the Bible right today. We have Jews, we have Gentiles, and we have Christians. The Jews are the unsaved Jews that are still following, looking, waiting for the Messiah. You've got Gentiles, anybody who's not a Jew that's not born again. And then you have the church. The Bible says that there is neither slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, right? In the church, we're all the same. We're all just plain Christians. Amen? We're not American Christians. We're not male Christians, female Christians. We're not Christians with a Scottish background. We're just Christians. Praise God for that. Amen? We're all part of one family. We're not Calvary Chapelite Christians or, you know, Lutheran Christians. We're just Christians. And praise God. And so that's who we are. 
But they had this covenant between God and Israel was the Sabbath. And they were to set aside a day because of this major task that was coming and because it would be very easy for them to get their eyes off of God and put their eyes on the world. And he said, I want you to consecrate one day a week to do nothing but spend time with me. I want you to enter in to my rest. In Jesus' day, we know what had happened. The Jews had turned this Sabbath day from a day of rest to a day of bondage, a time of of putting aside worldly distractions in, in the time of this, it became this time that was petrifying, where they couldn't do anything. And Christ, as Christians, guess what? We've already entered into His rest. Amen? The Bible says in Matthew 11, that come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. So if you've been born again, you've already entered into His rest. But I still believe there's an application for us today. And the application for us today is that we still need to set aside time where we spend time with the Lord. And we'll talk about more about that. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. Working on the Sabbath. Here's what it signified. And it applies to us, guys. Here's the thing. If they were working on the Sabbath, what they were saying was, I don't trust God to provide for me in six days. Six days isn't enough for God to provide, so I've got to go out and work the seventh day to make sure that I'm taken care of. I don't trust God. You know, the sad thing is I talk to Christians all the time. You know, and, and when I was at Calvary San Jose, we had a real big church, thousands of people. I'd run into somebody at the grocery store. You know, I haven't seen you in a church for a while. Well, you know, it's my busy season at work right now. And I just got, you know, and I got to make hay while the sun's shining. I got a lot of work. And so I've got to work and I just don't have time right now to go to church. Why don't you just say, I don't trust God to provide. God can't provide for me. God's not the most important thing in my life. My bank account is. I've got other things that are more important to me than my relationship with the Lord. Now, people aren't going to come out and say that, but that's what you're saying when you say, I don't have time for God. How can we not have time for God? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Do you think if you put God first that you're going to be harmed because you put Him first? Or do you think you're going to be blessed? Amen? He'll take care of it. I promise you. They'll take care of your needs, not necessarily your wants. It's also a desire for the world and its riches above God. When someone says, I'm going to work on the Sabbath day, I don't have time to spend time with the Lord, it's saying, it's more important to me to attain wealth and to attain things from this world. And not only that, I believe they've missed out on his rest. Because when you're resting in the Lord, coming to church is a get-to, not a have-to. Amen? I love to come and fellowship. I love to hang out with you guys. It's a blessing. Love to worship the Lord. And it's a picture of what we'll do in heaven. So through His sacrifice on the cross, His death, His burial, and His resurrection, we have entered into the Sabbath rest, and the Jews have yet to do it. I happened to be in Israel, as most of you know, two months ago, and I was there for Shabbat. And they closed everything down, but they don't have any rest. They don't have any peace. They walk around dressed like Pharisees, still looking for the Messiah, hoping for peace, but they've got to know the Prince of Peace. They want to have peace. Amen? And the Prince of Peace is Jesus Christ. Physical death. The consequence for not observing the Sabbath during the days of Moses was death. Now it's interesting to me that if we don't enter into His rest now, what are the consequences? It's death. Ultimately, it's spiritual death and separation from God. If you don't enter into His rest through His death on the cross, then you will suffer spiritual separation from God for all eternity. And so He says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He loves us. He wants to take the stress away, the anxiety. Fear, anxiety, worry, and stress are all the opposite of faith. It happens when I start trying to be in charge of my life instead of letting God be in charge, instead of trusting Him. So the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath day. It's interesting, the Bible says, that let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding in festivals or new moons or Sabbaths. It says, 
Romans 14.5, one person esteems one day above another, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. It says not to dispute over which day we meet, as ultimately every, day's, every day is the Lord's. You know what? I want to say this just so you have a clear understanding. Most Christian churches meet on what day of the week? Sunday. Now the Bible says don't esteem, you know, some churches have Saturday night service, that's great. Don't meet on Thursday? That's wonderful. Because every day belongs to the Lord. But why do most churches meet on Sunday? Resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. And that's when we passed from the law. We no longer had to do it, deal with the law anymore. And now we, we can be born again through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We're now under grace. We're no longer under the law the most significant event. Now, it's also interesting to me that Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit, also came on a Sunday. And so, Resurrection Sunday, triumph over sin and death, the giving of the Holy Spirit came on Sunday, and in the book of Acts, we saw that the church meets on the first day of the week, that's what it says all over Acts, and the first day of the week is Sunday. So the first century church met then, and so we do too. But again, if people want to meet any other day of the week, great. Praise the Lord. As a matter of fact, the Bible says we should meet more and more as the day approaches, not less and less. Verse 3. You shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Now, it's interesting that this is the only place that this verse is in the Bible. That they are to kindle no fire. This is added information. It wasn't in the previous direction to them. And you know what? In Israel today, the Jews still won't make a fire on the Sabbath. And it's interesting that in Exodus 16, when God gave manna, remember when they're wandering in the wilderness and he gave them the manna, or he gave them, he's going to give them manna to eat, gave them manna, they needed manna to eat to survive. It, they didn't gather any manna on the Sabbath. You remember that? They gathered it on Friday, double amount, because they weren't to do work on the Sabbath. They were not to have anything distracting them on the Sabbath. And so it says here, you're to kindle no fire. And the reason for that is that kindling a fire or, or cooking would be work that they would be doing on the Sabbath. Now, how does this apply to you and I today? Here's what I wrote. I believe that God wants you and I to prepare ahead for Sunday morning. Here's what I mean by that. My dad used to tell me this all the time when I was a teenager. Son, you don't prepare for Sunday morning at ten quarter to 10 on Sunday. You prepare Saturday night. And if you come stumbling in Saturday night from hanging out with your friends at 3 o'clock in the morning, guess what? You're going to be napping during church. Amen? And we need to be prepared. We need to be preparing Saturday for Sunday. And this is what's happening here. So don't kindle a fire. You need to prepare for sa- on, on the day before the Sabbath for the Sabbath so you're not doing any work on the Sabbath. Part of that preparation would be praying. You know, pray on Saturday for Sunday. Pray that God would do a mighty and awesome work. Open up your Bible and read whatever chapter is going to be taught that week so you're prepared and you've been in the Word and you're ready to receive from the Lord. Spend time studying God's Word. Be prepared for Sunday. And the same is being said, you can't cook on, on the Sabbath because I want you to do nothing else but focus only on me and rest in me. And I think there's a good application for us today. Get plenty of sleep, read the text ahead, and be ready for Sunday morning. Verse 4. Now we're going to move on here from the Sabbath to offering of materials needed for the tabernacle. Look at verse 4. And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel. And remember, this is as many as a couple of million people. It's a big congregation. There's a few less because they got, got in trouble at uh, Mount Sinai. You remember that? Quite a few of them died at that point. But there's still a huge crowd of people. And Moses is ministering to them, and here's what he tells them. Moses spoke to all the congregation, the children of Israel. This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, 
Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it in as an offering to the Lord. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Fine linen and goat's hair. Ram skins dyed red. Badger skins and acacia wood. Oil for the light. Spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. Onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod in the breastplate. Now, you that have been coming know what all this stuff is going to be used for, don't you? Because you've been, that have been coming on Wednesday night, we saw how every one of these materials is going to be used mightily by God to put together the tabernacle. He's going to use the people, he's going to build a tabernacle that will all point to Jesus Christ. But do you notice here in the text that there's, they have no idea what these things are going to be used for? They're not told that, well, you know, they could have come to Moses, well, wait a minute, I got some onyx stones, but what are you going to be using them for? It's not what's happening. He says, you give. Okay. And then let God decide what he wants to use it for. Amen? And too often we come before the Lord and we think we need to tell God how to use his stuff. Because everything we have belongs to the Lord anyway. Amen? And we should come and give it to the Lord and say, Lord, you use it for your glory. It's not for me to worry about anyway. Let me just give it to you and let me just trust you to use it for your honor and your praise. There's 14 different components that were going to be needed for the construction of the temple. And Moses made the need known, but he did not require or command that the people give. And even though virtually all their wealth had been given to them through God delivering them from Egyptian bondage, where did they get all their stuff? Remember? These guys were slaves in Egypt. They had nothing. They didn't have anything. And when they fled out of Egypt, what happened? The Egyptians, because God moved on their hearts, were giving them all their gold and all their stones and all their stuff, and they gave it to them as they were being delivered out of bondage. So as they're coming out of bondage out of Egypt, they're not only coming out and no longer slaves but free, but they're being loaded up with all these riches. And so who gave them the stuff that they've got in their hands at this point anyway? God did. And so as they come out, they're out there in the desert, and God says, I want you, you know, Moses commands, you know what? Here's what God wants to do. He wants to build his tabernacle, and here's what's going to be needed. And you go and give if you have a willing heart. And I love that part of the text. He says to give from a willing heart. Only one of those to give who had a willing heart there in verse 5. Whoever is of a willing heart. Again, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Remember the story of the widow's mite? How many of you guys remember that story, the widow's mite? Okay. The Lord is sitting there, and he's watching people give. And in those days, people liked to, make, liked to make a big production out of giving. They had these, like, trumpets that they would give in. Some guys would go and exchange their money to get more and more coins or whatever, so that when they would shake their money in, it would make as much noise as possible. And as they shook it, it you know, everybody would be looking around like, yeah, that's me giving right there. You know, what do you guys think? Aren't I pretty awesome? And so they're giving, right, and it's all about me, and they gave only that they would be honored by men, that men would look at them and say, wow, you must be holy. Now you, wow, you must be righteous. The Bible tells us not to let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. That when we give, we don't give so that people will think we're wonderful, but we give from a willing heart out of our love for God. Now at the same time as this widow comes in, and she takes two mites, which in today's value would be less than a penny. And she takes these two mites, and she walks up quietly, and she drops them in, and she walks away. And what did Jesus say? Jesus saw her, and he said that she had given more than all. Why? Because she gave out of her lack when they gave out of their abundance. You know what the Lord looks at? He doesn't even look at how much we give as much as what kind of heart we have when we give. Amen? He just wants us to give 
Because we love Him. It's worship. It's worship. It's saying, Lord, I trust you. Lord, it's all yours anyway. You've blessed me with everything that I have. And Lord, I'm not giving this to you to earn your favor. I'm giving it because it belongs to you anyway and because I love you so very much. And I want you to use it for your kingdom. We're going to see a contrast here in a minute between two different offerings I think you'll find interesting. But some, again, have estimated the value of the stuff that was needed at over a billion dollars in today's terms. So this is pretty heavy. Oh, by the way, we're going to need a billion dollars. Can you imagine showing up a church? We're going to need a billion dollars to build the church. So anybody feels willing to give? Billion dollars, right? And that's what he's asking them, right? Well, you know, if you're willing, here's what's going to be needed. And he lays out this list. Incredible. But I, I love the fact that both the tabernacle and the temple were paid for before they were built. It's a good instruction for the church today. Amen? A lot of churches out there that all they're doing is trying to get money so they can have a building. It's all about the building fund. and We need building pledges. You need to come up and pledge for the building and building funds. and building. That's a stinking building. It's a place to meet. Amen? If God blesses us with one, great. We've got a building right now. I like the gym. It's all working out. Praise the Lord. We've got places to sit. Seats are kind of hard, but it's all good. Keeps you guys awake. I like that, right? But it's all good. God's faithful and He's blessed us. But I would much rather take God's money and bless people than build buildings. Amen? I'd rather make sure that everybody wants to go to the women's retreat or the youth retreat or to the couples ministry can go. I'd rather be able to minister to people in our church that maybe lose their job and can't pay their rent and the church pays their rent. I think that's what needs to be happening rather than building these monuments under the pastor or under the church. Again, God may bless us with a building someday, but I can tell you right now, we're not going to get and hawk up to our eyeballs and be having building campaigns. That will never happen. Why? Because where God guides, God provides. Amen? And if God wants us to do it, He'll provide for it. And if He doesn't want us to do it, that's okay with me. It's all good. Because the church is the people, and wherever you are, that's the body of Christ. And again, where God guides, God provides. And you know what? You don't have to strive for money. You don't have to strive to build buildings. Just strive to love the Lord and minister to people. And God will take care of the rest of it. Amen? We're not taking buildings with us to heaven. The only thing we're taking with us to heaven is people. Amen? And that's what it's all about. Verse 10. So we go from the offerings of materials to offerings of labor or of our abilities to the Lord. Verse 10. All who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent, its covering, its clasp, its boards, its bars, its pillars, and its sockets. The ark and its poles with the mercy seat and the veil of the covering. The table and its poles and all its utensils and the showbread. Also the lampstand for the light, its utensils, its lamps, the oil for the light. The incense altar, its poles and its anointing oil. The sweet incense and the screen for the door at the entrance of the tabernacle. The altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils. And the laver and its base. The hangings of the court, its pillars, their sockets, the screen for their gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, the pegs of the court and their cords, the garments of the ministry for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister as priests. This is a long list of stuff. And we're going to again, we're going to go back through them again over the next few weeks, but we spent two months going through each one of these items and talking about the significance and how they were made. And again, we have the tapes, and if not, we're going to be going through them again, so we'll talk about these specifically, so I'm not going to do that now. But I just want you to see how overwhelming, again, we've got the materials, 
but we still need the men and the women to use their God-given abilities to construct the tabernacle and its furnishings. Again, from the tent and its coverings, the utensils, the furnishings, the priestly garments, all of it. And it's interesting that the, they were to be men and women of precision. Why? Because God it was going to give them the specific way to make things. And they were to follow His instructions exactly. You know, we got a lot of construction people in this room. And you know what? You guys don't just go out there and, oh, well, I, I think I'll put a door here. I mean, you don't do that, right? You got blueprints, you do all kinds of stuff, and you make sure that it's perfect, and you're, you follow precision. And these men and women that God was going to call were going to be artisans. They were going to be craftsmen. And as we're going to see, they're going to be men and women called by God and gifted by God to do the very things that they're about to do. And I love this, again, that they're to follow His instructions, Working with, and this is interesting, Ken and I were talking about this last time, these guys must have been incredible, because they were working with gold, silver, and bronze, but they were also working with fine linen, and then they were also working with spices, and they were also making anointing oils, and they were also working with precious gems. So they were like jewelers, and framers, and craftsmen, I mean these guys were doing it all, making furnishings out of pure solid gold and hammering them into perfect things, incredible. But you know what? Can God give someone the ability to do that? Absolutely. And I believe he's still doing that today. You know what? This reminds me of something because I think this must have been an incredible blessing for those who are involved. When I was at Calvary Chapel Antelope Valley down in Southern California, I was there for almost 11 years. And we started going to church at about 30 people. And when we left, it was, I think, around 1,000. And when we first started going, we were meeting in a YMCA in the gym. So we're not the only Calvary Chapel that's done that. We're probably the 500th Calvary Chapel that's done it, right? But they met in a gymnasium, and then after a while, church grew, and we moved to a Christian school. Sounds familiar. We moved to a Christian school, and we were meeting in their multi-purpose room. And then eventually, after the church was five or six years old, we had about 500 people, we moved into these commercial units, three commercial units that were huge, and they were empty. And so we had a building project, and it was actually a blessing. And what they did was he got up and said, hey, we're going to be moving in over there. Anybody wants to show up and help, come on over. Now... We had some guys that showed up that knew everything. And then we had guys like me who knew nothing, right? Could you go hold that up? Sure, I'll, I'll hold that right here. Well, okay, I can do that, right? But what was awesome was that over about a month and a half period of time, we watched these three empty shells turn into a sanctuary and offices and a bookstore and children's ministry. There were guys who showed up and did the electrical, people that showed up and did the plumbing, people that showed up and, and framed it, people that showed up and did the drywall, people that painted, people that put the carpet down. And people were coming and showing up and just giving stuff to the church. You know, hey, we're here, you know, God put on my heart to give you the carpet. Hey, God put on my heart to do this. And we just watched God work. But what was great about it to me was it really was awesome because we worked morning, noon, and night for like seven weeks straight. 24 hours a day. You could go down there anytime you wanted. Guys would show up at, you know, 11 o'clock after having dinner and doing stuff with their family and work till 3 in the morning and go home. Guys would show up early in the morning before work. And it was just awesome to watch God work. And it was great fellowship as we'd be working together. Again, I was just one of the grunts. They'd tell me, okay, can you hold this drywall here? Yeah, I can do that. And so I, I just go around. But what was great was I really got to know people. And the church really grew together, and we just watched God work. And God provided, and it was wonderful. But it wouldn't have happened if people who didn't have those gifts didn't all step up and say, yeah, I'll do it. Nobody got paid. Everybody did it. Why? Because they loved the Lord. And you know what was neat? Is that church was used for years. 
And you know, we give to some things and it's gone. We spend money on stuff and it goes away. But you could go week after week after week and people are getting saved and lives are being changed. You could say, wow, that was something I invested in that God used that's going to impact eternity. Whereas some of the stuff I invest in goes away pretty quickly. So the people came again and used both their ability and their resources and it was an awesome, awesome blessing. Verse 20. And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Now, I think this is interesting. He tells them, here's what all the material needs are. Get a pen out, write it down. Here's what they are. Gives them a list. By the way, we're going to take all that stuff, and here's what we're going to make. Gives them a huge list. And I need, I need people to bring the materials, and I need craftsmen to come and build the thing. Now, now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and pray about it. He didn't have to turn all the lights out and have some guy come up and play a harp or a violin or something and say, we're going to stay until we get everything we need. Pass it again, right? He didn't do that. What did he do? He said, you know what? I want you to go home and I want you to pray about it and you give as you feel led. He didn't say, we're going to beat on you till you give. Didn't do that. I tell you what, churches can learn from this example. Amen? So you know what, guys? Go home. Pray about it. You give as the Lord, the Lord leads you. Don't give because it's an emotional thing. Don't give because the lights are out and we're, we're using music to, to move you. Don't give because someone's manipulating you. If someone ever tells you, if you don't give, we're going out of business, then let them go. Amen? If you don't give this Friday, we're going to be off the air. Time to go off the air. Why? You don't see, do you see Jesus begging in the Bible? Do you see, do you see the contrary? That where God guides, God provides. If God wants our, the ministry to go, then God will take care of it. And you don't have to beg, you don't have to force people, you don't have to manipulate people, you don't have to get, get on the air and lie. You know, if you give the seed, oh, stop it. That's not the Lord. He loves you guys, and He's not after your money. You give out of love for Him. Then it says, Then everyone came whose heart was stirred and whose spirit was willing. There it is. So who came back to give? Those whose hearts were stirred and those whose spirit was willing. Again, not reacting emotionally, but being led spiritually. Everybody who was stirred showed up. That's what it says there. Everyone who was stirred showed up. You know what? We almost make it hard for people to give here. I've had people come to me and go, Where? You know, I've been coming for a month and you don't take an offering. I can't find... Where do you... What do you give? So we try to make it a little easier. We have new agape boxes now. They're at that door and that door. And you give whenever you want. Okay? We're, just, we're trying to make it easier because the people are, where, where do I give? But here's the thing. Those who are stirred and called will give. They'll give. Men don't have to whip them up. Men don't have to play music. Men don't have to do it. It says there, everyone who was stirred showed up. Every one of them. So God will do it. And praise the Lord for that. And you know what? This goes to my heart. If you just want to know my heart about ministry, here's what it is. My heart is not to call the equipped, it's to equip the called. What does that mean? I don't look and say, wow, that person has a great deal of worldly ability. Let's disciple him so he can use that worldly gift for God's kingdom. I would much rather look at somebody who's just in love with the Lord, just wants to be here, can't, just, just loves God so much, and I'd rather equip them. Rather than calling the equipped, I'd rather equip the called. Does that make sense? Do you see the difference? I don't, and Because you know what? Anyone who's called will show up. That's what happens here. Who showed up? Those who were stirred by the Spirit. 
Those who were stirred up in their heart and God ministered to them, they came and said, man, I love being here. What, what, do you want, what do you need me to do? I just want to be here. I have people all the time, youth ministry, and it's happened since we've been here. They think that they're somehow giving us a huge blessing. You know, hey, I, I've got this certain gift, and I notice you don't have it at your church. You know, and if you beg, you know, nicely, I might show up. Uh, no thanks. Not interested. We'll do without it. Why? Because it's not about men, and it's not about your worldly gifts. It's about you being called and just showing up, and I know God will use every single one of you if you'll come and say, Lord, I want to be used. Not able, but available. Amen? Not ability, but availability. That's what God's looking for. And so when I look at our church, I say, Lord, you know what? Just bring people who love you, whose hearts have been stirred, who are willing who wouldn't want to be anywhere else. They're not here because they get to use a certain gift. They're here because God told them to come. These guys showed up. Everybody who was stirred said, I'm going. There are probably those that said, oh man, what do you think? Hey man, you know what? God's given me so much, I can't help but give back to him. It's a blessing. Verse 22. Then came both men and women, as many as had willing hearts. Again, I love that. And brought earrings and nose rings. I'd be getting rid of those. Rings and, sorry if anybody's got one, I love you anyway. Rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold. That is every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord. Now, where have we seen this before? That they showed up and took their nose rings and earrings and all their gold and did something with it? Just recently, what happened? The golden calf. Didn't they do the same thing? Showed up with all their earrings and their gold and they threw it in. And this calf popped out of there. That's what Aaron said. Remember that? Oh, I was just sitting there. This calf just popped out. There it was. They're back hammering and making an idol, just like the idol they'd been delivered from in Egypt. They're going back to their old bondage. They're going back to their old ways, just like we can do as Christians sometimes. We go back to our old ways of the world. When God says, you've been freed from it, don't go back there anymore. What happened last time? They gave, but they gave to the wrong thing. Where's that golden calf right about now? It's in their bellies, Remember? What happened? Remember, Moses came down. What did he think about that golden calf? Aaron was afraid of what men thought. We, we need a God. Oh, okay. All right, put your gold in there. Well, there you go, guys. Just leave me alone, man. All right, it's all good. He was more worried about what men thought. Moses came down and pounded that golden calf into small pieces. That guy wasn't too worried about what men thought, was he? He'd been hanging out with God. He's not worried about men. He came down and he smashed it into pieces. Then what did he make him do? Who remembers? He made him drink it. He stirred it up and said, here you go. Here's that, remember that golden calf of yours? Come on over here. This is yours. Have a sip of that. Okay? Why? Because the thing was worthless. And they had given their gold for a golden calf, and it came to nothing. And you know what? Sometimes as Christians, I think that we're investing in golden calves. We're taking God's resources, and we're making our focus on something that's going to pass away. Something that's going to burn. Something that's of no value. Instead of being focused on taking God's resources and using it for something that when we get to heaven, we'll have had an eternal impact. Amen? And these guys gave to the golden calf, but again, what happens when these people in rebellion gave to the golden calf? What did it do? It took their eyes off God. Right? They're focused on the golden calf. Focus on the golden calf of my career. Focus on the golden calf of that relationship I want to have. Focus on the golden calf of that, that house I need to buy. Focus on the golden. We're so focused on the stuff that's passing away that we miss out on the Lord. And let me just say this. It's okay to have a career. God wants godly 
Plumbers, godly doctors, godly contractors, godly everything. He wants people who love the Lord to be in every trade so that we can be salt and light to a lost and dying world. But our career doesn't come before God. Amen? Because our career is going to pass away one day. And so it took their eyes off of God. It broke God's heart. It resulted in godly discipline. And in the end, they lost it all because the calf was destroyed. But those who respond to the stirring of the Spirit responded in obedience and invested in what? The tabernacle. They invested in something that was eternal. They gave to something that was going to outlive their lives. Let me ask you a question. What are you investing God's money in? Because it's all His. Just like those that came out of Egypt and all the wealth was given to them, so too is every dime in my bank account belongs to the Lord. Again, let me make it clear. There's nothing wrong with having money. As long as the money is light in your hands and you're willing to use it for His glory. Does God want you to use the finances that He's given you to feed your family? Of course He does. To provide shelter, absolutely. To take a vacation once in a while, I think absolutely no doubt. No doubt. He wants you to do that. He wants you to minister to your family. He wants you to take that. But He also wants you to use it for His glory because it all belongs to Him. Be a good steward of it. It's His stuff. So what do I use my, what am I investing God's money in? My own personal comfort or His eternal glory? Reaching and ministering to the lost. Much of what we give, we don't know. Again, it's full impact until we get to heaven. And again, they brought them out to them. I'm going to be real open with you guys. What do we do with the money you give to Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz? Where does it go? You ever wondered about that? Let me tell you where it goes. It goes to pay rent on, the, on the, this building and on the office down the, down the way. And I believe that that's totally what God wants us to do because this is the place where we meet. Amen? You know what's awesome to me? Many people have gotten saved in this room right here. And we're going to see them in heaven, and it's eternal. Praise God. Amen? The office down the road, where we have college and career group, and where I study, and where Bill studies, and we have women's ministry, and all kinds of other stuff that goes on down there. We had a wedding reception, Mrs. Heaviside, the other day. Amen? And you know what? That's God's place, too. And I know God gave it to us, and we use it for God's glory. What else do we use it for? We have missionaries. We support six missionaries, the gospel for Asia. You know what? We have no idea what an impact that's going to have until we get to heaven. Amen? What else? Tapes and Bibles. You know, we give the tapes away, and I always, we will always give tapes away. I don't care how big this church gets. They'll ne- I'll never charge for tapes. Why? Would you charge somebody for a tract? Here, here, would you like to know about the love of Almighty God and how to have a relationship with Him? Got five bucks? We ain't doing that. We get calls from the radio, right? You know, we're on the radio. That's another thing we do with, with the money that's given here. We're on the radio. And do you know that the radio program reaches tens of thousands of people every month with the truth of God's Word? I love that. Randy was up in San Francisco, and he met a lady who told him, you're from Santa Cruz? You ever heard of Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz? And he's like, well, yeah, I, I go there on Wednesday. She goes, we li- I listen to it every week. Wednesday's at 2 o'clock. Oh, it just makes me love God more. Oh, he told me that I was years. Why? Because that's what we're supposed to do with God's stuff. Use it to reach people for His kingdom that He would be glorified. Amen? What else do we use it for? We pay for, we minister to people. There's very rarely a month that goes by when somebody in our body doesn't need something. And I praise God that those of you who are faithful, because you're faithful, able to minister to those who are going through difficulty. Somebody who, you know, a single mom whose car blows up, we can help take care of that. Somebody loses their job and they can't pay their rent for their family of five people. They're going to be thrown out. The church can pay. Isn't that what the church is supposed to do? Amen? Isn't that why we're here? 
We're family. Minister to each other. Love one another. That's my heart. We also pay uh, for salaries for those who work full-time. Why do they work full-time? So they can devote themselves to full-time ministry. To pray for you guys, to study the Word, to be there when the phone calls come in the middle of the day to minister to people. That's important to me. Most of you know I'm not full-time yet, but Lord willing, I will be soon. But that's one of the things that God uses the finances for. But it's all His. And, and if you ever have a question or you wonder what we're doing with it, you can go talk to Dr. Webb anytime you want. He'll open it up and show you where every single dime goes. Because why? We're not into money here. It's all about giving so that God might be glorified. We want to pray about the decisions we make. We want to minister to people. We want to see His kingdom added to. And when we get to heaven, we don't want to regret anything we've done with His stuff. Amen? And we'll err on the side of grace every single time. We don't, again, we, want, we won't know what the impact is of the giving that we do until we get to heaven. We won't, have, we won't have a full understanding. It's incredible. But because of your faithfulness, reaching tens of thousands of people a month on the radio. We're supporting six missionaries overseas. We've got a place where people can come on, on Sunday and on Wednesday and hear the Word of God without compromise. We've got people waiting on the phone to minister to people. We get phone calls out of, the, out of the phone book all the time. I can't tell you the number of times I'm sitting in there. I'm only there two days a week, and I'm there studying, and that phone rings a lot. And I've been on the phone. I've led people to the Lord on that phone. I've talked to people who are struggling on that phone who don't even live around here and have guided them to churches. God uses it. We just need to be available. And I just praise God because of your faithfulness. Those of you who give will share in that reward. Do you know that? You're given to something that's eternal and will outlive this lifetime. Verse 23. Finish up. And every man with whom was found blue and purple and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, redskins and rams and badger skins brought them. This is interesting to me. I love that they each brought what they had. You go through 23 through 28, they each brought what they had. Everyone who offered an offering of silver or bronze brought the Lord's offering. Everyone with whom was found acacia wood for any work of service brought it. Each one of these people brought what they had. And you know what happens when they're done? They have everything they need and more. Everybody just brought what God put on their heart to bring, and it was always more than enough. Do you know in the next chapter we're going to see they brought so much they told them to stop giving? You ever heard that at church before? Don't give anymore. We can't. It's just too much. You guys are getting, we, we don't know what to do with it. That's what he told them. Why? Because they gave what they had. And they were faithful. And they were faithful because they knew that God had called them to do it. It's interesting also here. It says, everyone who, in verse 25, all the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had spun of blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen. And all the women whose hearts were stirred with, with wisdom spun yarn of goat's hair. Isn't that awesome? They were called, and not only did they take what they had, but they used their gift, and they spun it, and they brought it to the Lord. God put on their heart to take this thing that was valuable to them, and then to take the gifts that God had given them, and make it even more valuable, and then bring it and say, Lord, it's for you. I want to give it to you. It's yours. Man, I love that. Verse 27 and 28. The rulers brought onyx stones, and the stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate, and the spices and oil for the light, for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense. I think this is awesome that the rulers brought what was probably the most expensive stuff, the precious stones. I love that. And you know why I love that? Because I believe that those who lead in the body of Christ ought to be given more than anybody else. And sadly... Half the time, they're the ones taking more than anybody else. 
Amen? You ever see me living in a million dollars? That ain't going to happen, you guys. There's no way. There's no way. Pastors should be giving more than anybody else. Leaders should be giving more than anybody else. Leaders should be living more modestly, I believe, than anybody else. I don't want to stumble one person. I don't want one person to say, you know, why is Pastor Dave living in this big, huge house over here? Why is Pastor Dave, why, why is Pastor Bill, why is any of these pastors, why are these guys in leadership, what are they doing with that money that's being given? I don't want anybody to ever think, I want to live more simply that others may simply live. Amen? I want to live away a lifestyle that doesn't require that the church pay me much money. Why? Because I think that it's all about giving, not taking. Giving of our time, giving of our finances, giving of our resources, living and blessing others, not saying, what can God do for me, but how can God use me to minister to other people? The rulers brought the precious stones and the spices, and I absolutely like that. And I believe, again, that those who lead should lead in the way of giving. Let me read this to you out of 1 Timothy 3. We're almost done. Here's what it says. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Bishop is also interchangeable with elder or pastor. Okay? So you might, there might be some of you here that God's called you to be an elder or a pastor in a church. Maybe in our church. Okay? And God's going to raise up more and more guys as the church grows. It says, you desire a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. That means without accusation from the outside. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, of good behavior, hospitable, that's someone who means he opens up his home and he's willing to use his home for the kingdom of God, able to teach, he must be able to teach the Bible, not given to wine, not violent, and there's what I wanted you to see, not greedy for money. You know what? It makes me sick to my stomach when I see a pastor wearing a watch that costs more than a car. Something's wrong. We've missed it. It's not what it's about. It's about ministering to people. It's about loving and serving people. It's about a calling upon your life. You know why I think it's important? Because the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your treasure's in your house, then your house is going to be where your heart is. If your treasure's in your 401k plan, then that's where your heart's going to be. If your treasure's in, you know, your clothes or the car that you drive or the vacation home that you have or whatever else it is, your career, then that's where your heart's going to be. But if your treasure's in heaven... Guess where your heart's going to be? And it's going to reflect the way you treat people. It's going to reflect the way you hold loosely to the things of this world. And it's just going to give you a different perspective on life. Most of you know my car got hit three times in a very short amount of time. It was unbelievable. People go, you've got to get rid of that car. I'm like, no, God's teaching me something. I'm hanging on to it until he's done, right? And I mean, guy runs a red light going 70 miles an hour and plows and T-bones my car a year ago. I just got out. I was fine. The guy who hit me couldn't believe that I wasn't more upset. The police officer kept saying to me, well, you know, that guy ran a red light hitting you going 70. I go, dude, it's a car. It's chaff. It's going to burn. What God ha-. And he goes, man, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. I said, no, I wasn't. I was exactly where I was supposed to be at the exact moment God wanted me to be there. And somehow God's going to use this for his glory. And I had a chance to share with the guy that hit me for about half an hour. So you know what? It's all good. If it's God's, Amen. The guy hit God's car, not mine. Right? It's God's car. I get the car back. I'm driving home. I hit a deer not that long ago. Coming home on a Saturday night after studying, 4 o'clock in the morning, come around the corner, there's three deer in the road. And you know that, that term deer in the headlights? That's for real. They don't move. They're like, huh? You know, you're going to sick. Oh, man. Take my car in. I get it back from hitting a deer. I've had it like a week. I'm at a stoplight. It rear ends me again. 
like, okay, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Because you keep banging up your car. But we need to realize, you know what, Lord? If it's your stuff, you don't get upset. You see people getting all bummed out of shape because somebody walked by their car and, you know, their zipper hit it. Oh, look what you did to my car. You know, right? And it's be why. There's your God. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Park and take in four spots. You know what I mean? You've seen that before, haven't you? Polishing the car. Oh, man, polishing my idol on Saturday. You've got to make it look really good. And the problem is that we get our eyes off of the Lord, and there's that golden calf again. Get your eyes off the golden calf. It's all going to perish. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 29, the children of Israel brought a freewill offering to the Lord. All the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work which the Lord by the hand of Moses commanded to be done. The children of Israel brought a freewill offering. What does that mean? They brought and gave out of love, not manipulation. They gave because they wanted to. They gave because they loved the Lord, not because some man twisted their arm. When one does not give or use his or her gifts, both he and everybody else in that body suffer. I love that everybody brought what they had, and what happened? They had everything they needed. Every one of you in this room tonight has got a gift, a spiritual gift. And we're going to close with that. And here's what it says. Look at the last five verses, six verses. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, and the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and has filled them with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship. First of all, we see that, again, God identifies men and calls men and women by name and gives them specific gifts. And I think that we often identify gifts with something spiritual that we can see. We think of teaching as being a gift. You know, leading worship, oh, that's a gift. Counseling people, oh, yeah, that's a gift. And we look at those, and you're driving down the road, and you hear somebody on the radio, and you go, wow, God's really got his hand on that guy, because he's such a gifted Bible teacher. Wow, I've never thought of that before. You're driving down the road, and you hear someone leading worship, and it's just so precious. You go, wow, this, God's got his hand on this person. You know, you go into church, struggle with somebody, and they just share with you. They open the Word, and they just share the truth of God's Word, and you go, wow, wisdom, what a gift. But I want you to know that The practical gifts are just as important in the kingdom of God as the spiritual ones. And the practical gifts, in a sense, are spiritual. But he calls people by name, and what does he call them to do? His name, Bezalel, means in the shadow of God, and I like that a lot because I believe it denotes both a close walk, because he's walking in his shadow, but also a walk that doesn't take the focus away from the Lord. And when we do ministry, it should never take focus away from the Lord. Amen? John Corson, I know I'm over time, but give me a few minutes. John Corson is speaking, or is going to Biola University. And one week, a real famous pastor showed up and taught, and they said, wow, that guy, his illustrations are unbelievable. Can you believe the illustrations that he used? And he said they sat up for five hours talking about his illustrations. Then another guy came, and he had such incredible knowledge of Greek and Hebrew that they went back and talked for five hours about how much Greek and Hebrew that this guy knew. Then Chuck Smith from Calvary Costa Mesa came and taught about the love of God, and then went back to the room and for five hours talked about the love of God. You know what? We should never take the focus away from the Lord. Amen? I don't want people to walk away talking about how charismatic the pastor is or how, how anointed the worship team is. Or I want to walk away saying how great Jesus is. Amen? God is so good. That's what we want to impart to people. And that's what I believe we we get noted from Bezalel's name. And then it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit, with wisdom and understanding and knowledge and ability. Where does all that come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. That's why, you know what? 
You can't take the most gifted musician in the world and have him lead worship if he's not born again. Why? Because he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. And you can't take people to a place you've never been yourself. Amen? So you take, again, someone who's been called and touched by God. To design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, and cutting jewels for setting, and carving wood, and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. To the practical ministries of construction. And again, as we've talked about, this guy would have to be pretty phenomenal. But you know what's incredible to me? God imparted vision to Moses about spiritual things, and now he's imparting to Belazel, he's imparting what to him? He's imparting to him practical ministry. And I talked, about you, talked to you guys about this before, but I want to take a moment and talk about it. In Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, it talks about deacons. And it says they need to be men of good reputation, full of Holy Spirit and wisdom. Stephen was the first Christian martyr, and he was a man who was a, a deacon. And it talks about deacons again in 1 Timothy chapter 3, right after it talks about bishops. Now, what was the result of these guys being faithful to wait tables? The Bible says that the word of God spread and many people came to know God. The number of disciples multiplied. And I want to close with this. I praise God for those of you who've been called by God and have responded in obedience to serve God in a practical way. Let me name some things. I named this before and I've just added to the list. Those who come early and set up chairs and sound and do children's ministry. Those who come early and set up the bookstore and the lending library. People that go out and, and print and fold and hand out the bulletins. People that clean the church office and go to people's houses after they've had a baby and clean their house. People that do the overheads for worship. People that, that find out that someone in our church is getting married and they show up and plan the whole wedding reception for them because they want to minister to them. People that give people rides to church. People that work on the plants out in front of the building. People that clean and set up the restrooms every week. People that handle our church finances. People that show up early and set up the coffee and the drinks and the snacks so the people will stay longer and be ministered to longer. People that come early and help with the agape feast. People that duplicate the tapes, put the labels on them, and mail them to people all over the country that listen either to the radio program or, or see us on our website. People that maintain our website. People that greet new people and make them feel welcome. People that minister to people in our nursery. You know what? These are all practical ministries. And you know what all of those things do? They cause the kingdom of God to grow. And I believe those callings are every bit as much anointed by God and called by God as teaching the Bible or leading worship or doing anything else that happens here. Amen? If somebody didn't set up chairs, we'd all be sitting on the floor. Amen? If someone didn't run the sound, I'd have to talk real loud. If someone didn't mail out the tape, you know, all those things are important. But what happens when everybody comes and says, I've been called by God. If you're born again, you've been called. In Old Testament days, people were called into ministry by birth. If you were a Levite, you were of the priestly line. Now we've been called into ministry by rebirth. If you've been born again, you're called. So who's called in this room? Raise your hand. You all are. That means God wants to use you. And if you don't use the gifts God's given you, then there's a hole at Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. There's something that's not there. And I just want to encourage you, whether it's in priestly or practical ministry, that God's gifted you, and respond to His call. Go home and pray and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And, it, and whatever it might be. And I, I want to say this. Most of the ministries in this church were not Pastor Dave's idea. First of all, they're all God's idea. But a lot of times someone's come up to me and said, you know what? I would really love it if we had a college and career group. Okay. Well, guess what? We have a college and career group. Amen? Somebody walk up, you know what? I'd really love it if we had something for college. Okay. You know, I really, have, I really would love for us to do a retreat. Okay. You know what? I believe that a burden is the spawning ground of a calling. But be ready if you come up and ask me to do something that you might be put in charge of it. So be ready. Okay? I really think we need that. Oh, it sounds good. So why don't we start one of those? And it says here in the last couple of verses, in 34 and 30, and he was put 
and he put in his heart the ability to teach. In him and Aholiab, the son of Ahishamach, and the tribe of Dan, he was filled them with the skill to do all manner of work, the engraver, the designer, the tapestry maker, in blue, purple, scarlet thread, and fine linen, and of the weaver, those who do every work and those who design artistic works. Aholiab, his name means the tent of the Father. He was called by God to assist. But you know what it says here? This is the last thing I want you to see. He also showed them how to do the work, but also how to teach others to do it. You know what I believe is a sign of a successful ministry? A sign of being called by God? is not only do you do ministry, but you disciple others to do it as well. You're giving ministry away. You're giving it away. I was talking to Mike right before service, and I believe it's very true, that people, the people in a church will, t- will quite often reflect the heart of the pastor. You go to Calvary Aptos, Larry Elizondo is an incredible worship leader. Well, guess what? They got like eight worship teams over there. They're like, you know, you get, to worship, you get to leave worship every two months because we just got so many worship teams. I love the Bible, and I'll, be, I'll tell you what, we've got a lot of Bible teachers in this church. Isn't that amazing? Why? Because I love to give ministry away, and I love Friday mornings. I love encouraging guys to teach the Bible, and I love watching those gifts come out. It, it's exciting to me. But you know what? God's called each one of us to take whatever gift we've been given, to use it for His glory, but also to give it away, to, to disciple others. And to minister to other people. So in closing, I want to encourage you tonight. We're all called by God. He's given us gifts. The worship team will come on up. And we need to give Him the first fruits of our time. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Set aside specific time to serve with the Lord. Give Him of our possessions, because they all belong to Him anyway. And give to Him of our abilities. Whether, again, practical ministry or spiritual ministry, use the gifts God has given you. When you use the gifts, He'll be glorified and you'll be blessed. You know what? It's a blessing to do what God's called you to do. Amen? How many of you, how many of you know that that's true? You're doing something, and it, man, I, God lets me do this. This is unbelievable. He gave me the gift. He lets me do it, and now there's fruit. What a blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, and we praise you, Lord, for the calling you placed upon each one of our lives. I pray for those who are here tonight, that, Lord, they would not be looking for what's next or be unsatisfied right where they are, but Lord, that they would look and realize that ministry is not a destination, it's a way of life, and we're all in it. Lord, once you've saved us, you've called us. So Lord, may we be faithful to use the gifts you've given us to minister to the people that you place in our path every single day. Lord, we love you and we praise you, Lord. Help us, Father God, to be faithful. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and worship.